Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, audio drama producer and podcaster. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about their show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Murphy's Inc. When the things you seek have been lost to time, look no further. We can go get them. We're Murphy's Inc. Murphy's Inc. is a time-traveling sci-fi adventure. Originally conceived by Milliam Chan and broadcast on public radio station KNBC in Carson City, Nevada, the show follows a group of thieves who are hired to go back in time and steal valuable objects from ancient history. Chan has since left the show, but the original writers, Austin Dye and Tara Eon, and the producer, Mark Helton, continue the series. The first episode, You're New Here, introduces us to the Murphy's Inc. organization, its leader, the eponymous Murphy, two agents, Daphne and Michael, and the support staff that makes these time-traveling heists possible. Daphne and Michael also get an assignment, steal a good luck charm from the Viking, Eric the Red. I spoke with producer Mark Helton and writer Tara Eon remotely. Why don't you each tell me a little bit about yourselves as artists and creative types and tell me what you do for Murphy's Incorporated. So my name is Mark Helton. I am the executive producer on Murphy's Inc. I am involved in all aspects of the show. In the television world, I would be considered the showrunner. I, I don't really do much of the writing, but at least with creative helping to come up with the story, I do some of that. So I got involved in the theatrical arts in my youth. Uh, I love acting. I love performing on stage. I would say my preference is actually musical theater. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've done over 50 productions in my career. I sing, I dance, I act, I direct. I also enjoy doing lighting design. I do a lot. For my real job, if you will, I, I, I work as a state government employee where I'm uh, what they call a management analyst and I deal with numbers and crunching data and things of that nature. Well, COVID happened. And when that happened, it, it really took away the performing arts, at least from a theatrical standpoint. And a friend of mine, who's also uh, an executive producer on Murphy's Inc., he and I, we've been friends since high school, and we were trying to find an outlet and something to do. And we started doing uh, a live interactive broadcast, if you will, that turned into a podcast. And, and during that time, er, early in COVID, there was a, a show that came out that was having auditions called Secrets of Heritage House. Oh, yeah. And uh, I auditioned for that show and unfortunately did not get cast in season one. And I was super disappointed by that because I think I'm a pretty talented individual. But they had some issues with uh, an actor they had cast for season two, and they called me and said, hey, are you interested? And I said, sure. And they're like, we want you to jump on right now. <laughs> so I ended up joining Secrets of Heritage House. During season two, I had such a great time with it that I decided to get more involved. And uh, for season three, uh, I was actually an executive producer. And during that time of working on Secrets of Heritage House, I was introduced to the team at Murphy's Inc. And they were looking for somebody to help steer that ship. 
I was already interested in the show when I first heard about the concept. My first introduction to the team at Murphy's Inc. was actually on day one of the auditions. It was a lot of fun to, to do that audition process with them and really get to know Tara and Austin, who are the two lead writers on the show. And then also at the time, the creator of Murphy's Inc., the guy who really came up with the elevator pitch and some of the original concept, if you will, Milliam Chan, who's no longer involved with the show, unfortunately, but, you know, getting to know him and we had some people from Secrets of Heritage House that came over to help kind of consult with the the early development and getting the show off the ground. So yeah, that's that, yeah. that was a lot of my involvement. Today, I am still the showrunner, executive producer, um, and we're we're off to the races. Great, Tara. Tell me a little bit about you and what you do on the show and what your background is. My name is Tara Eon. I'm a writer, like like Mark said, uh, one of the lead writers. Uh, producer, some would say executive producer. I direct. I do a little bit of the assembly work to get everything in order for the wonderful Joe Bly to work his magic. I, I, I have a lot of fingers in this show. That sounded weird, but um, <laughs> I, I love it. It's just it's my biggest creative undertaking so far. I don't have much of a background, actually. I'm 28, so uh, I've really just been working, <laughs> you know, like in the in the public sector or whatever you would say. You know, I want to do more. But this is my my stepping stone. This is my my first big like chance to really show what I can do. And I'm I'm very proud to be able to work with a bunch of great people. I love everybody I work with. Every time I get off of a recording, I'm like, damn, I really love the people I work with. <laughs> so it's it's cool. How did you get involved with the the crew on Murphy's Inc.? It's been so long. It's only been like a year, but it's been like a fuzzy year. But I'm pretty sure I was like just browsing Reddit looking for like stuff to do, <laughs> like looking for something to like work on with a team. And uh, I can't remember who had made the post, but there was a post and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I was kind of in on the ground floor. I met Chan, Milliam Chan. And there was another chick named Julia who was working with us at the time, but she was only there for like five days, unfortunately, but she was really cool. And then Austin was also there. It was just the four of us kind of like collaborating, throwing some stuff together. Tara, how did you get into the arts? You know, I love the arts from a distance as an as an audience member. I don't know. Like I said, I'm 28, but a lot of it's just been time spent working, you know, like just working. Yeah. I really just wanted to, like, get out some creativity. You know what I mean? Just get something get something out there. And uh, I was like, well, I'm going to be a writer. I, You know, when I was in high school, I was a good I was good at writing. You know, I, that's what people said. So I was like, well, I'll give that a shot. I've always been in it, too. Like when I was in high school, I hung out with the theater kids. And there was a time, there was a weird time where I would do like shows and like sing. So it's always kind of been there, but I just, now I'm like, ah, I want to do something. I'm tired of just working and coming home and being bored all the time. Well, now I want to know, Mark, how did you get into theater? Were you, were you starting off in, as a kid getting into the arts? Pretty much as a kid, I was always told, oh, you're so dramatic. You should, you know, I was told you should be a lawyer or all these things. And, you know, I was that kid in elementary school when there would be the school play or something that I'd be the one volunteering. Yeah, I want to do it. I had an amazing experience in junior high where I was involved with a show that had been written by the director called The Wizard of Odd. And <laughs> it, I played the Scarecrow. And and the director Gosh. of that show, uh, an amazing man, Stephen Harrington, uh, 
he was my high school drama teacher. I had such a great experience in that that I decided I wanted to do it more when I got into high school. And I myself, I've done television, I've done movies, I've done all of that kind of stuff. But to me, still stage and especially in the realm of musicals, that's, I think, my true passion. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the show Murphy's Inc.? Tell me, what is this show in your own words? What do you think about when you think about this show? I mean, it started with a really simple premise. And anytime I try to tell people what it's about, I'm just like, all right, listen, time traveling thieves. <laughs> and that kind of gets people like, you know, that's a simple enough thing to be like, oh, OK, I, I, you know, I get what you're coming from. But it's, it's really just like a group of not nefarious, but like definitely not like above board adventures, so to speak, in it for the personal gain, uh, going back in time to grab relics and, and other items and things you know, rich assholes who want, (laughs) uh, you know, something, uh, an impressive trophy to show off, you know? It's a futuristic setting. At least it feels that way. It's not like super far in the future, but it feels like it's like maybe a decade or two down the road from us. Like not like Batman Beyond vibes, but definitely like not so distant future, but not today. You know, that's, that's where we're trying to hit it at. Yeah. Near future, I think is the best descriptor. So we have a group of futuristic criminals, uh, Murphy's Inc., led by this Murphy, who, who is the, the leader of the group. And as you say, their job is to travel back in time and retrieve artifacts from the past from people who hire them. There's actually like a whole world involved here in this criminal undertaking. There's agents that do the work, and then there's technicians, and then there's people who like you know, build period costumes. It's a whole enterprise, you know. That's kind of an interesting concept, um, you know, because, you know, it could be just a couple of guys with a time machine. Might be easier to write that way. <laughs> <laughs> what is your approach to the subject? What's the appeal of the large cast uh, with many different characters there? We have fun exploring these characters interacting with each other. Like, like the first season, it's more of a focus on what's going on in the past. But definitely in this upcoming season, uh, we're trying to work more on how these characters like because we we do have a, a, a pretty big cast. Yeah. Uh, we're We're just trying to see like. Okay, this person and this person, what happens when we put them in a room together? Or like, you know, what happens if we send these two together on a mission? You know, they don't get along. What happens? You know, that sort of thing. It's just seeing like, it's just being in a lab and mixing chemicals, you know, (laughs) what's going to happen. Yeah, that's the fun of it. Let's just get our measurements for these costumes done. As long as we don't need tights look like Vikings, I'll be happy. Lucky for you, tights were very vogue in ancient Scandinavia. Philippe, it's always a treat to visit your shop. How have you been? Ah, you know, easy come, easy go. Fashion industry is fickle enough as it is. At least the underworld stays consistent, yes? Everyone wants black, or if they're feeling bold, a darker shade of grey. Your visits, on the other hand, give me the challenge a true artiste like myself craves. That's why I look forward to your shop the most when we prepare for these special projects. And you'll never guess who the client is this time. Who? Jason Erickson. Caught yourself a fat one, yes? Let me guess. Vikings? Late 10th century. Eric the Red Set Stalker is our target. Daphne, I don't think you... Oh, relax, Jarhead. It's Philippe. He works under Murphy just like us, and he's got his lips locked tighter than Fort Knox. (laughs) (laughs) Until I've had enough bubbly in me, of course. The concept was this, as you described it, enterprise. Uh, And so, yeah, you could have the three main characters, Murphy, the leader, Michael and Daphne, the agents, and 
that be it. But I think there's something that would be lacking building it out and having those characters like the librarian who helps them research because mm-hmm. Michael clearly has a military background. He's not a historian. Daphne, she kind of just seems like maybe a cool chick. She's probably <laughs> not a historian either. So how are, are they just going to go grab a history book? No, we need somebody to, to teach them. They could jump back in time in their street clothes, but that probably wouldn't go so well. Yeah. So yeah. needfully, the, you know, you need Gleason. You, um, Gleason, who you know, he's uh, he's probably my favorite character because, well, I, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> you don't happen to do the voice of Gleason, do you? Oh, I do. I oh, do. Yes. No. I'm a character actor, and so I love getting those opportunities. But I think it's it's really just about like fleshing out the world. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's not just about the the three mains. It's about what goes on around them too. And I like to really akin it to Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, you know, uh, and and as Tara was talking about seeing different characters interact, right? You you had Worf, but when you saw you know, near the end of the series, when Worf and Deanna Troy got together, Worf was different, right? And then even taking that character forward into Deep Space Nine, he was much different there, right? And so I love the fact that we have all of these different characters who have different personalities. And when we mix them together, we're Mm -hmm. seeing these interactions. And as Tara referenced, in season two, there's going to be so much more of that. You know, we were talking about fleshing out the world and having these characters. One of the things I, when I was listening to the first episode, I really got this almost James Bond kind of vibe of like this big underground bunker connected by these tunnels with little carts. Yeah. And like James Bond, he gets his orders from M and then he goes to CQ where he gets his gadgets. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's all these little stops along the way. Yeah. And I, I definitely got that kind of feel in the first episode meeting all these people and following the agents as they travel throughout the uh, facility. And I think that's exactly part of what we were going for. Sure, you could just take Doc and Marty and throw them in a DeLorean and have them go back to 1858, but how's that really going to go? I mean, remember what Marty was wearing? Yeah, it's essential to have a team. Yeah. Oh, uh, Miss Murphy, uh, didn't see you there. Uh, what brings you in? Checking in on my employees. I've noticed you've been at it for a while down here. Is there an issue with the device? Uh, well, uh, it was going just fine until I found, uh, well, I think it best be described as a hiccup. Uh, as far as functionality, uh, everything's fine, uh, but there's this strange little energy flare uh, right before it finishes firing. Doesn't seem to be affecting anything, but uh, <laughs> then again, I can only do so much. Uh, don't really know much about this, do we? <laughs> no, not really. But thanks to your mechanical expertise, we've made great progress in understanding its inner workings. However, with things of this nature, there is still much to be learned. Yeah, just saying that we've uh, had more than a few close calls already. Of course, uh, your travelers will never know that, but um, these anomalies are are getting more and more common. Uh, I can fix them in due time, but I'm worried that we're treating the symptom rather than the cause. Regrettably, that is something that requires us to know much, much more than the very little we do currently. I'm certain you'll come up with something. Uh, Mark, you came in after uh, the show had already begun production. And then, Tara, you were there from the beginning, but the core idea was uh, someone else's, William Chance. Uh, I'm curious, could you both speak to what it's like to work starting with someone else's ideas, and then as you integrate into it, 
how you find your own voice and find your own imprint into the show. It's it's really weird. The basic idea was there when I got there. There was the elevator pitch, basically, you know, and then it, the rest of it was just up to us to kind of flesh it out. That was weird because I'm used to just like if I want to work on something, I'll just work on it. You know, I'll just flesh it out and do whatever. But it was a learning curve to like learn to work with other people. But like so Chan would be like, no, I want it like this. And we would be like, ah, it's, it's not really going to work. You know, <laughs> like we, it's an audio drama. We can't show things. So it was a lot of like collaborating, trying to like fine tune it to something that was workable for for the for the medium. Like, taking Chan's vision and running with it was a new experience. And he was, you know, he was cool. He like he didn't want to give up that core of like some of the core things he had in mind. But there were some things where we were just like, we have to change this. Like, it's not going to work if yeah. we don't. And, you know, he, he eventually was like, all right, well, if that's how it is, we'll do it. But, you know, it was just teamwork. Murphy's Inc. has one completed season and you're working on season two now. Do you feel like you have a, a stronger voice that you've, that you've helped shape the narrative into what it is now, taking over and being a part of the writing team this way? Yeah, like it's definitely Austin and I, like we, it, it really is our baby, like no offense to Chan or anything, but we really like took it and ran with it and made it what it is right now. Not to sound like pompous or arrogant or anything, but like we wrote it, you know, like we, we sat down yeah. late nights scribbling stuff down you know trying to trying to make it something i'm proud of it you know what i mean like there are some some weak points everybody who's ever listened to the whole thing is like see episode four kind of weak and they're like ah <laughs> we know <laughs> but like yeah I'm, pr I'm proud of it mark what was it like stepping in as a producer for the show you didn't start so uh, i'm not gonna lie and I've, I've said this to Tara directly, so I, I, I know I can say this and uh, I won't offend her. <laughs> when I came into that first meeting with them, which was like a half hour before day one of auditions, and this was me trying to figure out if I wanted to do this, talking with Milliam Chan, Austin Dai, and, and Tara Eon, talking to them about who they are and what their background was. I was like, I have to do this because it I don't know if it will be successful otherwise. And, mm. you know, Austin and Tara, this was their first major outing in, in a writing capacity. Milliam Chan had no experience. He had a really good idea. I, I will give him yeah. all the credit in the world to this day. He had a really good idea. But none of them had any experience with driving, leading, mm -hmm. running a production. Sure. Um, and, you know, to an extent, that experience, that theater experience extremely immensely helpful that recent experience with secrets of heritage house from from that aspect immensely helpful but it was i'm not gonna lie scary when i looked at milliam chan's original idea was to in essence take his elevator pitch get cast get post-production mm -hmm. he thought he was going to get it done within two months I, I thought that was absolutely insane and, and unrealistic because we didn't have anybody working on music yet. We didn't have right. a post-production person. At the time of auditions, episode one was not 100% in the can ready to be <laughs> recorded. So when I came in and I took over, I basically said, we're not going to rush this. We're going to do it right. I'd rather take my time, find the right cast, find the right post-production people. I don't ever want to put my name on crap. I said, let's take our time. Let's read through these scripts. Let's review them. Let's let's work with these actors. Since this isn't a show about the first episode of, I, I will tell you, we recorded the entire first episode and 
we it was kind of garbage. Yeah, we got uh, we got a rough. I'll say it. We got a rough draft of just the recordings, no sound effects, no anything else, and we listened to it. And I basically said, if this is what we're going to go forward with, I'm not going to do this show because it it was bad. The direction was bad. It was um, some of the voice acting needed to be. Yeah. And that comes back to, I think, direction. But one of the other things that we found was that the person that we had originally cast as Murphy sounded almost identical to the person that we had cast as Michael. Yeah, it's a problem. And because those two characters interact a lot, especially in those first two episodes, that was going to be a problem. So we ended up, the person we had originally cast as Hart, Kirstie Harrison, ended up moving in to that Murphy role. We then had... Tara helped step up with redirecting episode one. And we also had the consultant from Secrets of Heritage House. He stepped up to help. And we basically completely re-recorded episode one. And it felt a whole hell of a lot better. Oh, yeah. yeah. You must have really believed in the project then to put that much effort into salvaging. As I said, I was interested in this show purely from an acting standpoint, from the moment I heard about the casting call. Yeah. Um, so for me, I thought just based on time traveling thieves that sounds interesting that's all it takes man (laughs) reading the sides i was like "Ooh, this looks like it could be fun i was like i think we have something special here it's a matter of what we do with it and where we go with it with season two because we knew season one was going to be short and it's Mm -hmm. just an introduction to this universe let's talk about the first episode it turns out the team at murphy's inc is hired by a rich jewelry and fashion magnate to go back in time to the Viking era and steal a good luck charm from Eric the Red. Time travel stories are always problematic. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's like, well, how does time travel work? And is there a reality that we have to follow? Is it the the back to the future method? Or is it, you know, some other time travel method? You know, and there's always this paradoxes. Like, I know, for example, the characters say, we've got two weeks to do this job. Well, couldn't they just come back, you know, in time before they left or something, right? Yeah. Or or if they steal the good luck charm in the past, then would the guy ever have it to begin with? I'm just curious as to how you guys approach, or if you approach at all, time travel paradoxes or that kind of problematic writing. There was, when I came into the show, I, I got it. There was no show Bible. We still really don't we technically don't really have, have a show one. Bible. <laughs> but We're just kind of doing it on the fly. Uh, yeah. We'll say the some mechanics, stuff. We'll like, yeah, that's the mechanics of the universe. We do have rules that we have discussed and agree to. This is how this works. This is how this can affect this. Uh, but there is still to an extent figuring it out a little bit as we go, because we don't want to be beholden to anything else's universe, like Back to the Future and the Mm -hmm. way the rules work there, Mm -hmm. or Star Trek with Mm -hmm. time travel there, or Marvel Cinematic Universe. We want to be able to do Mm -hmm. our own thing and, and see how things play out. And for anybody who has listened to this season completely, you're probably going to know that there are some things that are affected by what we do. When it comes to time travel, it's one of those things where, like, you start looking at it, and the longer you look at it, the uglier it gets. And, like, (laughs) it just, you know, it's like a stain on a carpet, you know, and you're like, ah, now I can't unsee it. I think it's one of those things where we don't want to, like, beat the audience over the head with it, because then they're going to be thinking about it the whole time. You know, I don't think uh, in the first season we really brought up how it works so much as just it works. Right. You know, that suspension of disbelief is a part of it. You say time traveling thieves. 
And you're like, oh, okay, all right, I'm along for the ride. Like, if that hooks you, you're right. along for the ride, no matter what. <laughs> um, I think at some point we're going to maybe dip our toes a little bit into it, and then maybe we'll fully dive in. But I, I think it's more important to tell a good story with just the concept of time travel than it is to really be like, okay, these are the nuts and bolts of how we're doing this. You know, I'm thinking of movies like Primer. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Oh yeah, with the two guys in a box or whatever. Yeah, exactly, right. Which the mechanics of time travel in that are integral to the story that they're trying to tell there. For sure. But on the other hand, sometimes it's like, do you want to see your hero fight a dinosaur or not? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) We're here to do cool stuff. Exactly. So I think that's kind of a, a smart way to approach it. It's like, Sure, there are paradoxes, and yes, there's weirdness that can happen here, but we're going to have high-tech thieves confront Vikings. So, what's left on the to-do list? More supply jobs? I think we might be running our interns a little too hard. Really? Kids these days, I swear, so lazy. You'd think they'd be climbing over each other to go back in time, but no. They need a whole week to relax after a stroll of the ancient Egyptian desert. Not everyone's married to their work, Michael. Yeah, they should be. Uh, Anyway, we still need a few slabs of Greek marble from the 3rd century, samples of some extinct Prussian flora, and uh, some Chinese porcelain. Oh, is that all? Nope. Still got a whole book's worth of these things. When's the last time you ate? What does that have to do with anything? You look like you're on the workaholic diet. Coffee and cigarettes. So what? I can eat before I sleep, and I can sleep when I'm dead. Speaking of high-tech thieves, sometimes writing criminals can be tricky. Writing characters that are already from the get-go are lawbreakers or 'er ne'er-do-wells, not obeying society's rules. I'm curious as to how y'all approached writing these characters who are criminals and yet wanted the audience to have fun with them or relate to them or connect to what they're doing and that kind of thing. What's one of the best shows that has been on in the last decade? Breaking Bad, right? Sure, right. I think it's all a matter of how you sell it. Yes, the Murphy's Inc. squad, if you will, are working under the table that are working for quasi nefarious means, but they're not out there murdering people. They are living a life that is counter to maybe what the casual individual might be doing. But there's probably a reason that they're living that life. Again, as we referenced, Michael has a military background, but now he travels through time to steal stuff, right? So what happened in his you know, military career or post-military career that caused him to go down this track. And I think that can create interesting stories. Daphne, we, we don't really know much about her background, but there's probably a reason that she's here. And so I think you don't sell it as you're, you're trying to tell the villain's story. As far as getting the audience kind of hooked into the narrative, into the world, um, it's important to have characters who you don't know, in, at least in my opinion, too much about it first. Part of the fun is figuring it out. You know what I mean? Like you want to you want to be there for the ride. And I would I would say one of my favorite shows, character driven, that really there was shock value over the series lost. When you Mm. look at some of the characters there in episodes one, two, three, season one, you don't know who these people are. You don't know that somebody here is a millionaire, won the lotto. You don't know that another person here is a con man. And as you find those things out over the course of the show, other things make a whole heck of a lot more sense. Mm. And I think there's a lot of fun there to see that develop over time rather than, you know, episode one, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's my background. (laughs) Right. That's, I'm not terribly fond of that. There's not a lot of violence in the show. Violence is not like 
part and parcel of the storytelling, like on a regular basis. They banter with each other. They tell jokes. They kind of pal around together. I think also you're taking the crime out of the present. So it's not our world that they're robbing from. They're robbing from the past. <laughs> so that kind of like puts a distance, you know, like, oh, well, they're only robbing from the past. So, you know. Well, and that was and is one of the rules that I established early on was that we're not going to do anything that's recent. We're not going to deal oh, with yeah. any timelines, any anything that is in the last maybe even hundred years. If yeah. we're going to do something, we need to go back far. So, A, we're not dealing with any like you know, image infringement or, you know, we don't want any lawsuits or anything like that. But also there are so many facets of history that people don't regularly address. I mean, have you heard of a story about Eric the Red before this? How do you measure success? I don't. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I don't I don't care about other people's uh, success. You know, it's not a race. It's not a, a competition. As long as I can find joy in what I've done or what I am doing, that's all that matters. You know, like we're not getting paid. That kind of sucks. But I enjoy working with the people I work with. I enjoy the product we're putting out. Um, And I think, uh, you know, the people who do listen and the people who will listen are going to get something out of it. They'll you know have a good time. And that's that's enough. You know, I would say that I measure success by the success of those around me or perceive success or those around me. I like mm. to try and lift people up, build people up. One of the things I've always prided myself in my professional career is helping others uh, achieve that next level, that next promotion, uh, whatever the case may be. Some of my proudest moments for Tara and Austin, you know, hearing episode one that they wrote and now it's fully produced and the, f- the first time they get to hear it before it gets released, if you will. I think I really enjoy those moments. The one thing I said coming into to do this product was I want to get through season one. I want to get it fully produced and out there. If nothing else, for me, that would be the success factor. What lessons have you learned about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own? I would say for me that the biggest lesson that I've learned is to surround yourself with people that are passionate about what they are doing. Because Mm. if that isn't there, they're not going to stick around. I think there are other shows that I've worked on, other things I've been a part of, and you can tell there, there are those that are just doing it for a paycheck or they're just doing it for the credit. They're just doing it for the line on the resume. And, and that's fine. You know, I think we've all been there at some point, you know, mm-hmm. they're early in my acting career. There were musicals I did as the ensemble because I just needed to bolster the resume. But I think for me now, it's I really only want to work with passionate individuals that are hungry, that want to make something worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. Tara, what have you learned through this process? Uh, OK, so I've worked uh, all sorts of sides on the project, right? I would say the biggest things I've taken away, uh, if you're a producer, take notes be organized. It's very important. Uh, If you're a writer, don't worry too much about the deadlines, but remember the deadlines exist. (laughs) Stay up really late and get them done. I love pressure. Um, And as a director, have fun with your talent. Um, You got to treat them like like your friends because they are your friends. If the environment is hostile or it just feels like a job, you know, nobody's going to have fun. They're not going to put their heart into it. Have fun. Uh, As I was saying... We're on schedule to jump on Saturday. Excellent work, you two. I can't stress enough just how important this mission is for us. For the company. 
I wouldn't task anyone but my two best agents with something this big. Ah, chief. Don't be complacent. Promising as the rewards are, the consequences of failure are equal in magnitude. You know we're more than capable, Miss Murphy. Ma'am. You're both the best at what you do. Don't misunderstand me. But we all slip up eventually. Nobody bats a thousand. So, don't treat this as a simple supply run. As I've said before, the future of this company hinges on the completion of this task. Think of its well-being as proportional to my own, and yours as well. Are we clear? Murphy's Inc. is a fun concept, with likable characters, adventure, and an eye toward historical detail. It's also a good example of how audio drama is collaborative in nature, and people who are passionate about their art can work through difficulties to create something worthwhile. You can listen to Murphy's Inc. on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more details. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. This show is a production of Alien Ghost Robot Creative Media. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. We're happy to be a part of the Audio Drama Lab, a Discord-based resource for audio drama development and networking. Check it out at audiodramalab.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.